1: Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, Joining me, as usual, is Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave?
0: I'm feeling pretty good, and by the way, I love the bike backdrop. Yeah. I feel like we need to move <laughs> out of the way, though. I'm worried riders might be coming yeah, 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 shortly.
1: Yeah. How, how much would you pay to actually be there oh, this year?
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Come on, let's not go here.
1: I know. We have a special guest uh, with us today. Uh, before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Joining us is the legend. Fielding it, how you feel? All the way I'm from the great.
2: UK. I'm great, Christophe, and it's lovely to see you, Christoph, and great to see you, David. And now tell me, Christophe, that backdrop, as David just mentioned it, it looks to me like the Tour de France finish at Monde. Is that where it is on the airfield, or am I guessing?
1: Uh, he has, he has <laughs> no, no idea, Phil.
2: you do Okay, <laughs> okay.
0: okay. Pass on you. one. Then. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no a, I, I don't you. think so because Mond has got the airstrip alongside it and there's no <laughs> airstrip <laughs> there. But oh, I'll really, tell you really what, really you're great. on the ball. That's yeah, good.
1: Absolutely. Oh, it's great, great to have you uh, in in, uh, in uh, the podcast and in the, the live stream. So first of all, uh, to all our audience or listeners, you can actually put comments in the box below here uh, and questions if you have for feel uh, and then we'll have a look at what you are saying and then we'll try to uh, to put them to feel on uh, this broadcast. Phil, this is an amazing story that you are telling us through a movie. Tell us the story of that movie. How did that come about? Well, it was back in
2: December, towards the end of the month, December 2018. And uh, I had an email from a chap called Nick Bird, who lives in Melbourne, he's a filmmaker. And he said, hey, he said, we've got an idea. We'd like to make a film about your career. And he uh, hit me at a weak spot. I was actually going out with Trish to the, for a meal and a drink in the local pub, and I just p- passed it off. I said, Sound a good idea. Send him a line. So I just said, hi, Nick, lovely to meet you. Send me, um, send me more info. It's on. And that's how it started. Uh, by the March of the next year, 2019, he rocked up in South Africa, where we have a home as well, and um, with the camera crew, and it looked like a comedy film, actually. He arrived at the local airport bumbling out with boxes and cameras and sound equipment. And I finally straightened him out, got him a hire car, and life began. Uh, Nick and, the, and his co-partner, Eleanor, followed me for uh, 18 months around three continents. They finally uh, did accept I worked for a living when they finally got to the Tour de France and saw how busy it was. Um, and the film they produced totally knocked me out. I had no control over the inputs. He changed his ideas as soon as he saw Africa and he saw how Trish and I worked together on the wildlife situation with the rhinos. And uh, as far as South Australia is concerned, Trish and I are ambassadors for the koalas after the terrible fires a year ago on Kangaroo Island. And so we uh, rewrote the script. He wrote it as a three part thing. My my, uh, association with Trish, uh, our animal conservation efforts and, of course, my life as a cycling commentator. And the result is a film which made both Trish and I cry when we saw it for the first time. And judging by the comments I'm getting since it's been released in Australia, everybody's laughing and crying at the same time. I think it's a fabulous film. I'm biased, of
0: course. No, well, you know what, Phil, don't spoil anything. You're allowed to tell us snippets, but neither Christoph and I have seen it yet. And we're both looking forward to it
1: there's a reason why is because i want to see on a big screen yes i know sometimes we're lucky enough to get screeners uh and but this time i really want to enjoy it with the audience and enjoy it on the big screen
0: so phil tell me though with so many years in cycling and obviously you know you are the legend you are voice and had you had you been approached have you ever been approached before to do a documentary on you or was this the first time
2: This was the first time. In fact, David, I've had lots of requests from uh, very reputable publishing houses to write a book, be it a biography or an autobiography. Uh, I did look into it uh, about a year ago or so. um, But, you know, I I could never get in the mood to to write about my own life. I thought it'd be pretty boring. But when it came to do a film, I thought, yeah, this will be easy. What I didn't realise was, of course, was the inconvenience of having a camera crew. Literally at your house at 5.30 in the morning to see you walk out the front door. Uh, the retakes when you drive away to reposition the cars. And, and so it went on. And whatever the weather, I had to do what we decided to do. And so I went cycling with people uh, and the rain came and it was cold and miserable. But that was the way it was. It happened. And so it was great. I love making the film. I've still got no real inclination, inclination to write the book. Um, I've written five books, of course, but all on the sport and the pastime, never on myself. And I think this film has said an awful lot. Uh, Nick and Eleanor, actually, uh, the film ran out well over two hours. And I said, hey, we're not making a James Bond movie, you know. It's just about my life. And so 20 minutes went on the cutting room floor, which cut out a lot of people who are great friends of mine. I I apologise to them. But I think when the film is, is done and dusted, Uh, the the DVD will become available uh, with the outtakes and all the fun bits and extra copy as well. So it will go on for a while yet, I hope.
1: (laughs) Let's let's play the trailer because it's actually... Give me shivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have a listen to the trailer.
2: This is going to be a very strange season for me this year, isn't it? I'm going to go to the commentary box without Paul for the first time since 1986. The fans are going to be looking at it very critically. Oh, he's not the same now that uh, Paul's left his side. It won't be the same. Well, alongside me now is Paul Sherwin, and he'll be joining me for the full three weeks as my co-commentator for the first time. To to the summit. I mean, he may not recognize his face, but if you've ever watched the Tour de France, you know his distinctive and famous voice.
0: On right, here comes Hondo. He's a walking, talking part of broadcast history. Well, you're known as the voice of the Tour de France. The voice of cycling? The legend. Phil Liggins. Is there any stopping Lance Armstrong
2: in this Tour de France? And the answer is no, there is not. Phil's never really had a chance to tell his side of that story. Well, Paul is already
1: a British champion. It's it's three days old. Congratulations, Paul. This doesn't give you chills down the spine. You're just not human. And Maka, you made it to the trailer. I could hear your voice a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) I I was
0: screaming through the mic. Phil, when I watch that, there's, I've got to say, I've got to hold back the emotions because there's so many things come to me as well. One is, takes me back to my childhood and how I used to mimic you commentating in the sort of late 80s, 90s. And then obviously, and we've talked about this before, So I don't feel, I guess, so bad about asking, but I still miss Paul, and I'm sure you miss him so much. And every time you watch or see vision of him with you, because you were were separated at the hip, both of you, for so long, Um, no matter what, you must miss him so much still.
2: Obviously, you know, I could have got very emotional watching that trailer, and I've seen it two or three times. It never fails but to hit the spot, as it were. Um, Yeah, I think about Paul every day, and that doesn't change. I was with him for 33 years. Look at this. We did so much fun things together. We made people laugh. We made the job very enjoyable for everybody concerned, and that was the most important thing. Yes, we think we did a good job, uh, but the long days on the Tour de France, and if you don't have a a good morale every day, like the riders, you need good morale every day, uh, then you're going to crack. And so Paul and I... We took the thing as a breeze and I you can't replace that. But also you never lose memories, Dave. And yeah. nobody will take those away from me. And I've got thirty-three years of great memories of working the show. I called him yeah. Sherman, he called me Liggard. That's the way it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's quite funny because you brought Paul into the commentary box, but do you feel like he's left a mark with you? He's rubbed off on you. Because for me I see you Still, and hopefully I'll see you in the flesh, you know, maybe not this year, but hopefully next year. But I feel like Paul is still sort of side-by-side side with you sometimes.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had set phrases we used to say, you know, and Paul's favourite one, he used to go up to people and said, are you enjoying the tour? He said it to everybody and they just got fed up with him being asked because uh, people crack up so quickly. And when things go seriously long, like the vision is broken down or something, he would say to the producer, are you enjoying the tour now? And and <laughs> we'd all crack up laughing, you know. That's the way it was. And oh, I think of those things when we're in situations. Um, I felt equally uh, sorry for people like Robin McCune, who had to replace Paul on the Tour Down Under, and Bob Roll who replaced Paul on the uh, Tour de France. But those guys didn't replace anybody. They were themselves and had done a great job. But I felt sorry for them because what the people would think, um, they fell into the shoes of their own feet, and, and I'm glad they did, but uh, when I look to my left, uh, for the first year, I lived through the great fear of looking at my co-commentator and calling him Paul, because I was for sure convinced that was going to happen in excitement. It didn't, to my knowledge, it didn't anyway, um, but we've yeah. had wonderful times, and you know, as you see there, Dave, we, you, me, Mike, Tomalaj, Chrisovic, and Kath, it, It's we were a team, too, on SBS, and, and Paul was part of part of the great life and fun we had on SBS while producing a great TV show.
1: Yeah, and I must admit I haven't photoshopped myself on this photo. Yeah if, I was gonna say hard.
0: I don't I don't remember Christoph being in that photo. <laughs> no <yeah>. I feel <laughs> I think back he's, to me, I, 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 he's photoshopped himself in. Come on mate. Come no, on look seriously. at it look at it. No come on no. we're no. having we're having a moment here
1: <laughs> uh, let's go back to your to your early start uh, in your career you were a rider as well you were a cyclist uh did that cement your love for the sport from the early age or was it even younger when you fell in love with cycling?
2: No, I fell in love with cycling from probably 15 years of age. That was uh, quite late. So I suppose to start riding a bike that picture there is me climbing the famous horseshoe pass in mid Wales. It's a brute. And I was chasing an ex club because i would moved away from the area and I beat him as well. I enjoyed my racing and, uh, I was hopeless at all normal school sports, so rugby, cricket, football. Couldn't kick anything with a ball, It was hopeless. Uh, but suddenly jumped on a bike and I could ride a bike. And it was the gateway to me uh, from escaping uh, just a, a suburban lifestyle because there was no car in our family. And so I just moved on from with the bike. I went into Wales, uh, which was only 20 kilometres, but I'd never seen it because we didn't have a car. So the bike got me there. And we had wonderful rides. And I found I wanted to be a racing cyclist. I was never going to be as good as Dave McKenzie. I must give him that. But I did try, Dave. And, um, Jeez, you you I, can't have been that good then. Is what <laughs> the you were aiming for? <laughs> no, I, I, was, I was very much uh, average. But I proved you could do things. And even if I was going to fail and never be a, a top bike rider, I was going to be a better person for trying. Yeah. And that's what I tell yeah. the young kids I meet now, come up to me. and They've come up to me for years and said, hello, i I'm so-and-so, I'm going to be a world champion on the bike. And I say, I really hope you are. But, you know, if you don't make to be a world champion, you will be a great person in life and you'll have a, had a big adventure. And that's what it was. Life became a big adventure for me. And it right through my love for animals, that's running in parallel the whole way. That was probably there before cycling. So now both yeah. through so in the film.
0: Yeah. And so what a lot of people and a lot of our viewers probably don't know is that so you, you were a cyclist and then you know the backstory is you you got offered to to do a commentary gig, but you also are, were a UCI commissaire. I think you were one of the youngest ones when you got the certificate. And you were also dangerous. a technical you're a race director as well, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I there was nobody else knew about the sport and that's I was getting all the jobs. Not like now where there's a great rivalry to be a television commentator. You know, you're probably banging each other over the head to get the job. But um, in my day, there was nobody. Uh, so and the, and the media didn't know who to turn to. So they said, oh, ring Liggett, He knows about cycling because it wasn't the number one sport. Now, it's a main high profile sport around the world. Yes, I, the reason I, became, I was offered the job to organize the equivalent of the Tour of Britain, it was a 12-day race, uh, amateur race, and it was the biggest race in the world. And because it was the biggest race in the world at the time for amateur cyclists, I was invited to sit on the Association of International Cycling Organisers, and I became a vice president. And the man to my right, who was the president, was Félix Léviton, the organiser of the Tour de France, who was God. And and he used to sit alongside me on this call. I sat alongside him on the committee. Then during my organisational period in the Milk Race, the chance came, a very rare chance, uh, to train as an international commissaire, referee, in effect. Uh, which I did uh, because the milk marketing board, the sponsor, the milk race, said, go and do it. You need all the experience to get this race forward. And, and I passed with very high marks. So I became an Olympic referee and, and I became the youngest man, in fact, to commentate, a uh, commissaire rather, at the, at the World Championship, which I did in, in Belgium in 19, oh gosh, much, 1975, I think, can't remember. 75, yes, when Henny Kuiper won the world title. I was sat in the car behind Henny as he crossed the line because I was the commissaire. It was great.
0: And then you, she's um, imagine if you had have had a life as a commissaire opposed to a commentator. She's <laughs> it would have been pretty damn depressing. Well, <laughs> and even more
2: depressing these days because I've completely lost control now. I can't understand the rule book anymore now. In my oh, days, true. I actually taught. Uh, I, Ten years later in 1985, I went to America to teach the Americans uh, representing, I was representing the UCI, uh, and ten for ten days, I, I I talked to Americans about the rules of the of the world World Championships, everything, dope controls, the lot, from eight in the morning till five at night, and then they used to knock on your door and say, "Hey, we got a question," and I used to say, "Well, go away and ask somebody else," because they never let go. But everybody on that course at various levels all passed, and many are still working today as as commissaires around the world. It's changed since then and it's a lot harder yeah. now. I, I wouldn't want to be a referee in bike racing anymore. I've done it.
1: There's a couple of good questions uh, coming in from, from the audience. I just want to bring this one in because uh, Thomas got a bicycle name, Mercier. Mercier is a great uh, brand of uh, historic bikes on uh, on d'Or. But he's asking you, uh, your, your real working encyclopedia, is there any Tour de France that would? be above anything else? What's your favourite Tour de France? Is it even possible to answer this? Uh, well,
2: it is a question I'm asked quite a lot, Christophe, and I always come up with the one answer, which is uh, Greg Le Monde and Laurent Fignon in 1989. we have a problem.
0: And... <laughs> he has a problem with that. I have a For big obvious problem reasons, with really? <laughs> What's the problem? Well, he's French. He's French. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I thought...
2: Well, so I, I knew you were French me, straight away when you called Thomas Mercier Thomas. So I knew you were French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it listed... we met before. <laughs> we met before.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, so 1989, course. sorry, I interrupted you. 1989. No, yes, because um,
2: it was... Le Monde was making his comeback, wasn't he? He, he 86, he'd he won the Tour de France. He looked set to win a few more after that, after his big battle with Bernard Hino. And then at 87, he gets shot by his brother-in-law out hunting turkeys, Mr... Im, uh, His brother-in-law mistook uh, Greg for a turkey and shot him in the bushes. Only a helicopter flying over the region of the National Park at that time, deciding to land and check it out rather than go to a nearby road accident, saved his life. He He would have been dead within 20 minutes. The long story was 18 months rehabilitation from a wheelchair back to a bicycle. And then came 1989. He was back in the Tour de France. The last day. He'd battled all the three weeks against Laurent Fignon, the former two-time winner of the Tour. And now they come to the final time trial, which started outside the Palace de Versailles. And it was only 24 kilometres. Uh, Fignon was leading the Tour in yellow by 50 seconds, 24 kilometres. He can't win the Tour. So I, I, Paul Sherman was pretty much a rookie in those days of commentating. He stood alongside me. I turned to Paul. We were recording the opening for British television and satelliting the pictures back to London for live commentary later in the day. So I said to Paul, Paul, who's going to win the tour? And this was on the camera. And Paul looked at me and said, oh, it's got to be long. Fignon. He says, Fignon is a, he's a, he's an intelligent bike rider. He's a veterinary surgeon. He lives in Paris. He's in yellow. And he's the French favourite. I can't see him losing. And so he says he'll win the tour. So I looked back at the camera and I said, well, I think Greg Lemond's going to win the tour. And he'll win by six seconds. And we stop the tape. Tape goes to the camera guy. He goes to the broadcast vehicle, the satellite back to London. And we're driving for a coffee on the Champs-Élysées. And Paul says, what do you say that for? I said, well, of course, Fignon's going to win the tour. But I said, I don't want the viewers to turn off. And if, if, if Le Mans was ever going to win this tour, it could only be by a few seconds. So I'd guess six. So mm. we fast forward now to live commentary. That's gone out at the top of the show. we now put to all the riders on the time trial. Last two to ride, of course, Le Mans, followed by Finion. Uh, uh, Le Mans comes down the Champs-Élysées, crosses the line, gets the time. Now we know the time that Finion must do. And it's got to be quick. He gets to the last 200 plus metres to the finish line, and Le Mans's time goes past. Then you're counting the wrong side for Finion. It took him eight seconds to get to the line. And I shouted, I don't believe this. Greg LeMond has just won the tour by eight seconds. And my producer, who in those days was in London, put the key over. He was an irascible old character, but we were great friends. I'm still. <laughs> and he goes, Liggett, next time, get it bloody right. Uh, <laughs> and I'd guessed six seconds and he won by eight. And I burst into tears. It was a highly charged emotional situation. I had Le Monde and Cathy Le Monde jumping literally to my left on the comedy tribune, which aren't as posh as they are these days, and Greg was screaming shouting, so was Cathy, and crying all at the same time. On my right, lying on the floor like a little coiled fetus, was Laurent Fignon also crying, and me in the middle crying. It was a bizarre scene, and that, that yeah. without doubt, is my favourite talk. Well,
1: there was a 14-year-old uh, French Kid, he's <laughs> crying as well, not for the right reason. Uh, if you watch the French uh, coverage of it, it's actually quite funny because they're arguing with the guy on a motorbike that is taking the time wrong. Uh. Uh, and, and they are actually arguing on oh, air God. about God. how rubbish he is at taking the time. Uh. But actually, he no, was right. Well, like, that's terrible.
2: interesting, Christophe, because this is when Paul came into his own. Paul was very good at maths. And he had calculated uh, during the ride the gains of Le Monde and how, how much he had to keep gaining to win this tour. So it was almost a foregone conclusion when Le Monde uh, got to the finish followed by Fignon because Paul had it worked out to perfection. The very next day, on the way home to England, because Paul lived in England at the time, we were going back on the boat across the Channel, and I, we wrote a letter to uh, um, the organiser of the Tour de France, Jean-Marie Leblanc, and said, Jean-Marie, that was the best organised, best exciting tour we've ever covered. Congratulations. And our advice is don't have another time trial because you'll never repeat what happened. And to this day, they've never had another time trial to end the Tour de France. But then I looked at Paul and I said, Paul, my advice to you now, after three years of being alongside me as a commentator, is to give it up. Because you'll never be any better than you were yesterday. And and so I think it's time for you to retire. And so (laughs) we went on for the next 30 years together, but even so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was... As a young teenager, it was incredible. Painful. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, well, as a, as a neutralist, you know, Le Monde for me was a hero. Fignon was a hero, Bernard, you know, but for you, Phil, the generations that you've seen, you've seen the French dominance. You've seen the innovation that we talk about of Greg Le Monde. You know, he was the first with the bars, the first with everything. And now, right now we've got Mathieu van der Poel, Wout van Aert, Julian Alaphilippe, uh, yeah. Remco Evenepoel when he comes back. Is it even possible for you of what you've seen to compare the generations? Because this one is pretty exciting, isn't it? it, it yeah, and
2: I love Alaphilippe, I really do. I think he's such a magical, really entertaining bike rider, and, and the, in the same mold as Peter Sagan has been. He's got to find his form again, Peter Sagan. Just to briefly come back to that tour, though, Dave, the, the one other thing which made it so amazing was, this was with hindsight, two days before that tour finished, uh, there was a crash approaching the finishing line in Aix-les-Bains. And there was a roundabout. They come off the hills and the roundabout. It was raining very heavily. All of the riders fell off. They all remounted. And they crossed the finishing line in the very order that the Tour de France, in hindsight, was the result Le Monde won the stage. Fignon finished second. Lareta finished uh, fourth. Uh, Delgado was f- uh, third. The exact yeah. finishing order that the GC would be was preempted two days before the tour finished. Nobody realised that. I bet the French wow. did uh, It took me a while to work it out.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: baffled. <laughs> there you go. Well, I never saw that. I never saw that on the highlights coverage because we only used to get highlights. We never, I never saw that stage. And trust me, I've watched yeah. every possible <laughs> minute that I can find. since. It check Go and check the results. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. me at midnight going, I found this new footage on the 1989 Tour de France. You won't see it. No. Anyway, new generation. What are your thoughts on the Van der Poel, you know, the Van art the way, the pocket as well, the way the sport has been shaken up in the last... Only the last two years. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Now, I, I think I, I wrote about it uh, about six months ago that uh, if you're over 23, you might be considered too old to take part in the Tour de France next year because the youngsters have finally come through in big time. They're much more mature in the mentality and approach. They've got the attitude of a very mature professional bike rider with lots of uh, wings under his wheels. Um, uh, for me, uh, Van der Poel is, is probably the best of them all, but he's had that terrible crash. He's got to recover from it. Uh, let's hope he can get back to the to the level he was discovering. Uh, Pogaccio, well, this guy's magic. Egon Bernal has faltered a little bit, but the signs already this season, he's going to get back to his uh, Tour de France winning ways. The youngsters are there now. Uh, uh, Vincenzo Niboli said it uh, at the end of, the, I think it was the Tour de France or the Giro last year, uh, that... Um, He's beginning to feel his age because the young men are taking over, and I have to I have to agree with him it, the whole world is changing now it's become a much more streamlined sport, and these kids seem to be able to cope with it better. The teams recognize talent, and the teams, as we know they control the racing these days so they can get that young talent to the finishing line, and the young talent's got what it takes to finish the job off with, as we've seen yeah. yeah.
0: They have, and I guess, and and just while we stay on this theme, Chris Froome, do you think it is even possible that Chris Froome can challenge this year? I mean, part of me, as someone who's been in the sport forever, I'd love to see him reach the magic five with some of the greats, winning five Tour de France's. But do you think he can even get close?
2: Well, the evidence suggests he can't, um, but never say never, Chris Froome is probably the most mentally determined bike rider I've ever met um, and he's a, definitely a Jekyll and Hyde character nice guy, very quietly spoken off the bike, put him on the bike he's a demon he's an absolute demon and he never says never, so if he's saying he can get back, I believe he can um, but there's been so much happened since he had that crash in the and it's going to be very difficult I'd like him to come back because I happen to like Chris and his attitude to life, he, as you know, he's, he's British, but basically he's not. He's African, brought up in Kenya and Nairobi, and and also in Cape Town, and his love of the rhino, which is very close to my heart. um I, I really hope he comes back just for those things because he can do so yeah. much to help the foreign, the animals in Africa.
1: Yeah, you've got the animals actually in the background. You can see the the, the photos just uh, just behind oh, yeah. uh, you. And outside. Our house. Talk to us how, how close you are and, and what, they, what they mean to you. And I think there's someone that was asking how the right rhino is going.
2: Well, the rhino, we've had a very, very good year where we live in Africa, which is in a very remote place. In that screener that you showed, the trailer, the opening shot is our house. That's where we, we live when we're in South Africa. And it's very remote. It's through what I call the last fence in the country. There's no more fences. It's right across the Kruger Park straight into Mozambique or into Botswana or even Zimbabwe. Uh, So there's no fences. So those animals are truly wild. Um, And when we bought the place, we had no idea we were entering a war zone where poachers, if they get in, carry AK-47s and they shoot to kill. So our rangers shoot to kill as well. And that's the end of them, hopefully. But we've had a great year. We've had no incursions. We've had no loss of rhino. So fingers crossed, we are getting on top. for all, all, all animals are important to me because I believe they're very indicative of the world in which we live and the life of which we have. If these animals are to be taken out, what is there to live for? Where would you go on your holidays to see life, yeah. to see nature? There's nothing. If you didn't hear the birds sing in your garden, why, why would you want to get up? There's nothing to make you feel good and happy. There's no oxygen in the air. So it's, if, if we lose the animals the world will end. Of that, I am totally convinced.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of good questions again in, uh, in, in here, in the comments. Uh, uh, Brad is asking, uh, do you have a favorite call, a favorite climb of uh, all the many Tour de France that you, uh, you commentate? The, the one that you, you look at the routes in October, and you go, this is going to be an interesting one to comment again. Is there like a special one?
2: Well, I, I suppose it's outdoors. Uh, because it's in the Alps. It was rediscovered in my very early days of covering the Tour de France, 1974. It had been climbed in 1952 and won by Fausto Coppi. It was uh, basically an unmade road in '52 and thought to be too hard to run the race over, and there was a gap of over, over 20 years before it came back. I was there when it came back, and this mystical place, because the hotels on the top only opened in the winter. They never opened in the summer because they only got ski people go up there. And uh, and w- with the Tour de France uh, putting it on television, it became a mecca for cyclists. So for the first few attempts, they reopened the hotels one week before the Tour went up and closed immediately the Tour left next day. Now, of course, it's a full-time holiday resort as well. Um, I think I'm, I'm going on memory now. I think we've climbed the outdoors 25 times in the history of the Tour, and I've reported... From the site on 24 times. And I've seen such great battles. I've seen the allegiance switch from the Danish to the Norwegians to the Dutch. Uh, whoever's been winning up there the most, the most spectators come from that country. It's a magical atmosphere. I always say the people on Dutch Corner, they've never ever seen the Tour de France on Alvarez because they're too drunk, having drank for three yeah, days. Well,
0: we had day. a few experience there. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've about three years ago, didn't yeah. we? And I can
2: attest to that as well. Yeah, no, but they're enjoying themselves. They're doing nobody any harm. They're not yeah. like football hooligans used to be. Um, they were just enjoying themselves. And they were manic people. When we used to drive up there, because when we would arrive there, we'd be nearly midnight the previous night. So they were well into it then. Uh, and uh, they would see the cars and recognise the plates on the cars and they would want us to stop and have beer, beer, beer. F- Fell through the car window. They just wanted to drink with them and have the fun, uh, and talk about the tour. And so um, now that's got to be the it's it's a, it's the revere climb of the Tour de France, and it's in a lovely hey. part of France.
0: It is. It is a beautiful part of the world. And so again, of all of the generations you've seen, and get, you know, going back to that eighty nine tour when, and I've seen Vision where you're interviewing Kathleen Lamond, and you're right there, being able to talk to Greg directly after the stage, and Will it be a sad day? Do you agree with this or don't you agree? And we've said it in the past, you know, it'll be a sad day when they have to barricade all of Alp Duez or all of these mountains because the crowds are getting too crazy. But the crowds were mad in the 80s, Phil. You saw it firsthand. I wouldn't say they're any crazier now, but are we getting too sort of precious about, you know, rider safety, et cetera, or are we doing the right thing?
2: I don't think there's any choice in most ways. I mean... Health and safety have gone completely crackers, as we know, around the world. Um, and we we do have intelligent human beings on the world who should be able to look after themselves. If there's a step in front of me, I don't expect a big notice saying, mind the step. I either see it or I don't, but it's my problem, not theirs. Uh, the trouble is all the lawsuits come out, and so everybody's got more and more careful. It all started in America with insurance claims, etc., and now it's spread yeah. around the world. Uh, it, and it, of course, it's made things very, very difficult for the race organisers of every every type of event, uh, uh, a sporting event. Now everybody else is liable and and the, the charges to, to run these sporting events, the liability costs are incredible now for insurance. And it, in the end, it it will probably kill the sport or any sport because there's got to be a stopping point. If, if you go and buy something from a, a self-food takeaway place, I won't name it, but it sells hamburgers. And they pass out on the drive-through. A cup of coffee, people spill that coffee on the lap and get burnt. They sue because the coffee was too hot. And it's happened. And and how
0: crazy a world are we living in? It's got to stop. Now, okay. Well, I it's karma. It's calmer because they're they dry. They're, firstly, they're buying their coffee at a drive-through, <laughs> so they deserve to spill it on their lap. I think. Absolutely.
2: Common <laughs> sense no longer prevails, uh, David, as you know. Um, but the Tour de France became what it became because it started in 1903 as a challenge. The bikes were rubbish, if you could call them bikes. The roads were equally rubbish. The guy that won the first one was a chain smoker and a chimney sweep. Uh, And it became man against the bike and the course. Nowadays, it's man against man and that the bikes are just a means of carriage. And I think there's a big difference.
1: Yeah. What do you make of the of the year and a bit that we had? We've, you know, of course, that's probably changed a lot for you. You've been uh, forced to commentate the uh, the tour last year uh, from home. I don't know what uh, what are the plans for you this year, but what has this year do? What, what did it do to you? Well, this year has been
2: very strange for us. Trish and I got back from Africa two months late. Uh, our visas expired, but that didn't matter because COVID was the excuse for everything. Uh, we flew back into London just on the 1st of June last year. I've never been back to the airport since. We're locked down here. Um, we're allowed out for exercise and we're allowed out to uh, go shopping and that's it. Uh, hopefully it'll change by June. But um, you're right, the Tour de France, I, I work at NBC, as you know, and the Tour de France will be done from London again next year from the studios, linked to my co-commentator who will be in New York and, uh, and it will go to air. The trouble was we did it last year and it was so successful. The head of sport called me after three days and said, I don't believe you're in London. It is just too good. And then the viewing figures after the, after the race ended were the best we've had for 10 years. And that's now, of course, television networks thinking of the cost they've saved by keeping me in London, and my co-commentator in America, hardly anybody out on the tour itself um, and getting biggest figures ever. That sounds like a profit all round. Uh, we don't but, want that, though, Phil. No, We've got to we, keep that yeah. quiet because we all want to go back, don't we? <laughs> don't say it too loudly. <laughs> but you're right. And, of course, it's not the same because, I, yes, I'm seeing like I'm seeing you now, just a picture, and I'm supposed to talk about the Tour de France, which is all out in the periphery. In and so I think, in, I think we'll go back, but not going back to 2022. Uh, and we need to be there because that's where you get your stories. If there's a kid comes on the screen, I only know his name, address and team, I'll walk down to the Japanese commentator or the Belgian commentator and say, hey, who's this kid? And they'll say, oh, I feel he's very special. He's, he did this, you know, when, when he was a young boy, he did this. and he... So I've got the story. I'm back on my television network now. That can't be done when we're, when we're back in the studio in London. So we've got to be there in the longer term. Everybody's conscious of it. Life will never be the same again, uh, but as far as the Tour de France is concerned, I think it will return
1: somewhat to Yeah, Let's hope, let's hope yeah. you're 100% right. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, question I forgot to ask about Primoz Roglic uh, and what happened to him at uh, the Pyrenees, which you brought really here yes, yes. Uh, commentating on. Uh, this fact that he's lost the race again on the last day, mm. a little bit of a monkey on his back, I guess. We, we can debate this, but... Uh, What's your, your, your opinion on it? And my question to you both, actually, is do you think Jumbo Visma could have done more to protect him? Is that something that the team should have done? Are they at fault on this or not? Phil. I'll,
0: I'll let you answer that, Phil. <laughs> well, first of all, let
2: me say the way I, I saw the stage uh, here in England, and he, he went right up in my estimation. This guy is a real bike racer. He's an ex-world champion junior ski jumper and he got out of that when he injured himself. Uh, and I think the world is, should be rather pleased he came into it a little bit later because he's a great bike rider. And he never gave up on that last day of Paris, Even when he was three minutes behind, he raced and it turned out later his shoulder was dislocated. So he's got all the attributes of being a fantastic bike rider. I think his team did try. Well, we didn't see the full story on that last stage. Apparently he did yeah. crash twice. Um, and when I tuned in, I saw uh, George, uh, yes, George Bennett was dropping off, having been of service to, uh, to Primoche. And then it all went wrong for him when he was isolated. He couldn't get back. But I think he made a lot of friends and a lot of fans around the world. He, he Look, he's, he's gone through this this bad time. He lost the Tour de France in the time trial um, to his countryman, Pogaccio. And, and then... It, he came out of the Dauphiné on the last day because he was sick when he was leading that race. Now he's lost the uh, Paris-Nice on the last day. His first ever Paris-Nice as well. These things happen. But this guy's mentally very, very strong. He doesn't say a lot of words. He speaks very good English, but he doesn't talk a lot. But he says what what you want to hear. Um, he was a gracious loser. Did you see he was the first yeah, guy yeah. to well, congratulate him? Yeah. As and soon sh- as he
0: crossed the line, I know, that was pretty special, yeah. wasn't it? And he did it at all. Well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for him, for me, the guy shot to the top of my admiration list just on that mm. one day on Paris Nice, and what he did with Shackman, and Shackman himself has said it wasn't the way he wanted to retain his title, and I can understand that. Uh, but he had nothing to do with the accident, and it's bike racing, and that's exactly what Primoz said. It's bike racing. Very, very mature cyclist, and and a great entertainer.
1: So I'm a, I just like the guy very much. Absolutely. Look, Phil, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, the, the movie is out everywhere uh, on all the good cinemas in, in Australia. Did you watch me VIP? Did I? Oh. I can't remember. Did it be loud? Surely <laughs> Phil's got some passes.
0: <laughs> Come on, Phil, get us front row seats. No, I know, want the popcorn no, and the, no, the popcorn
1: what? holders. You know what? You should pay your way. To see, to see a <laughs> we good will. movie, of
0: course we will. in
1: Times of COVID, you should pay yeah. your way. Before but, we go, yes, I thought you were going to forget. I, am I going to forget? Nah. Some, we've got something <laughs> special, Phil, Look, for you. All across the Tour de France, we'll be giving the riders of the day. We created little puppets like this. Oh. But today, I want to give you this one because you—you you are a yellow jersey. Uh, for you've been for many years, and you've always been, and you will always be part of the the SBS family. So thanks for being so kind, Phil, and thanks for, you know, I've been, I have, I didn't grow up with 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 your voice. On cycling, but I've learned to love it. So thank you very much.
2: Christoph, thank you. That's the first yellow jersey I've ever won in 48 tours. And it's 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 and, to sky
0: it's,
1: as well. Hi guys.
0: There you go. Thank That's you for super. your time. It's been a real yes, pleasure so to have you.
1: Lovely yeah. to
2: chat, Phil. You too. David. Three, one, three three All the best, Christoph. Bye, David.
1: Thank you. Cheers. Well, that was cool that was great legend you know what was just
0: good to have a chat with him (laughs) and i miss the guy yeah absolutely we get used to seeing him every year at the tour and um we'll we'll be back yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: anyway thank you for joining us this was the uh, zwift cycling central podcast and of course vodcast uh, this time around uh before we go let me remind you that as usual you can uh subscribe or log uh, a ride with our friends at zwift in order to uh hear this podcast or subscribe to this podcast again until next time It's bye for now. And before we go, I'd love to say a good hello, bonjour to my dad. He's watching Ah, Uh, Yeah, and he's not too well. (laughs) Bonjour, Michel. (laughs) Thank you, and thanks for tuning in. Take care, and see you next time on SBS Cycling Central.
0: Before we go, a quick shout-out to Zwift, the app that turns indoor training into a game. Getting started on Zwift is easy, You just need your bike, a trainer, and your PC, Mac, or Apple device. Zwift offers training plans, interval workouts, and a global community. Get strong and get motivated with every ride. Give people a ride on, and you're sure to get one back, as together you enjoy the massive benefits of social indoor training. Go to Zwift.com today and start your free trial.